0: Mayday, everybody. May 1st, 2020. Welcome to So Money, everybody. It is Ask Farnoosh Friday. And this Justin, big news, great big news, everybody. This podcast, five years in, 14 million downloads later, over a thousand episodes later, nominated for a Webby Award. I wish I had some applause sound that I could play right now, but I'm really excited about this. I am not going to hide it. I applied for this as everybody has to apply on their own and you have to be your biggest advocate in life and money and work. And I went for it. I did never applied for this before. The last time I was nominated for a Webby was back in 2000, oh gosh, 12 maybe uh, when I was at Yahoo Finance and that was for our financially fit web series, which was number one on the internet at the time. So fast forward, this is something that I'm extremely proud of because if you notice who gets nominated for Webby's, not often the independent players. It's a lot of the bigger production houses, the big famous people, the big famous podcasts that are out there. And if you look at my category, I was nominated for best podcast in the business category. I'm up against some mega players including Vox Media, Marketplace. For me, you know, like I you got to cherish these moments and especially right now when it doesn't feel like there's much good news to share. But that is a bright spot. And I want to say thank you to everybody for making it possible, right? This show exists because you exist and you're dedicated and you're continuing to provide rich, important feedback to me, which I try to implement in the show. And now I must ask for your support. You can vote for your favorite podcast by going to vote.webbyawards.com. And when you get there, it's a little tricky to navigate The So Money podcast is not just up there on the homepage to click on, but if you go to search and you type in Farnoosh, I'm doing this right now to make sure it works, you'll see So Money with Farnoosh Trabi pop up and click on nominee business and then click on my podcast and your vote will count. And so there's two ways to bring home the Webby. There's the People's Voice Award, which is what I just walked you through by going to vote.webbyawards.com. go in the search bar, type in Farnoosh, boom vote for Farnoosh, please. Uh, I'm begging you. And the other way to win is just to show up on awards night and see if your name gets called. The board, the the academy, the Webby Academy does uh, pick their own selection as well. But listen, they say it's an honor just being nominated. I truly feel that way. It's uh, the company that I'm in. Masters of Scale, another podcast that's in the same category, nominated. Pivot, a uh, podcast uh, with... Kara Swisher, and Scott Galloway. Scott's actually going to be on the podcast, this podcast, in a couple of weeks. Uh, This is Uncomfortable, a show by Marketplace and Business Wars, a show by Wondery. While I'm bragging, I also want to mention that So Money also received a Webby Honors We are a Webby Honoree in the Interview Talk Show category. What does that mean? It means you've been recognized by the International Academy of Digital Arts and Sciences, and we were among just twenty percent of all the work entered in this year's Webby Awards to receive this designation. So I'm going to get a certificate. They're going to frame it. It's going to go in my new office. We're moving, by the way. Oh yeah, newsflash: we are officially moving. If you've been following me since the beginning of the year, you've been experiencing the volatility of this decision because uh, we started the year strong. Okay. We're selling our house here in New York City. We're going to use that equity to use some of it to buy a house in New Jersey. And then what happened? Pandemic, Uh, which actually in some ways, Made the buying process a little easier. So, really quick, okay, so we had this money set aside to buy a house and we were going to use this spring market, the most, the busiest time of year to go out into Jersey and look at houses. We'd actually made two offers on homes that we did not get. That's how tough the spring market is in some parts of New Jersey. You have a lot of competition, prices go up, you know, $100,000 above asking, sometimes more. So we were all new to this and navigating this and we lost out on two bids, very sad. But you know, we kept we were like we have the time, we don't have to move right away, we have until the summer. And then of course the pandemic hits and the market crashes and then everyone's losing their jobs and we're like, "Oh my gosh, perhaps we just need to rent for the rest of our lives." So we kept an open mind, right? We were okay with whatever direction we were gonna take, but we wanted to feel like we were making progress. So with that, we kept looking, we kept informing ourselves, we kept educating ourselves, talking to our broker, talking to people in the community where we were hoping to move to. And while all this was happening, a home popped on the market around mid-March, mid to late March. This is at a point where they were just about to get rid of open houses. They were now everything is a virtual tour, but we were able to go see this house By appointment, we wore masks, we wore gloves, we kept our distance from the real estate broker. She let us go around the house. The house had been empty for a while, so we knew that it was also clear of any virus. So we came home and we thought, we love this house. We don't feel like there's a lot of competition. We were told we were like maybe one of two people interested in making an offer. So we bid asking price. We didn't go a penny above, but we did to sweeten the pot, say that we wanted to close immediately. And that got us the deal. Believe it or not, the other buyer, supposedly the other potential buyer bid higher than us, but they wanted to close at a later date. And us wanting to move fast Was music to this seller's ears. Because yeah, you'd rather have cash in hand fast, even if it's a little bit less cash, than waiting and stretching it. And then who knows, right? That person who makes the offer and wants to close in four months might lose his or her job, right? Or conditions change and they change their mind and now you're back to square one. So we were very aggressive with the closing process and that was a whole thing, trying to get the mortgage, all the paperwork as a self-employed person. That means I was under even more scrutiny. Several years of tax statements required several letters from my accountant explaining the way that I make my money and all of the things. But we did it. We had a great loan officer. He held our hands through the entire process and we are closing on Tuesday. Stay tuned. I'm going to be taking a lot of footage. I'm going to be showing you how we're moving. We're being very careful about it, doing it in steps, steering clear from the moving company. They're going to just park all of our stuff into the garage. We're going to live bare bones in the house for a while uh, just so that we can you know, make sure that whatever we're moving into the house is clear of any viruses. It's the process, but we feel like again, it's forward momentum. It is just a personal experience. This is not advice that I'm giving to everybody. Oh yeah, go buy a house right now. We're going to have more on that next week when I talk to... Elise Glink on Wednesday. She is the country's number one real estate expert, and she will be on this podcast breaking down real estate for us. Everything from should I buy? Should I sell? How's the closing process going? What will happen to pricing? You know, are we going to see prices fall? Are we going to see prices go up in some cases? She's got all the insights. Really quick, let's go to the iTunes section and pick our reviewer of the week. We've got a review from Haley, left on April 29th, calling the show a great learning tool. Four stars out of five. Haley says she loves the podcast, and as someone who's in her earlier 20s, it's been a great tool to learn about money and finances. Some of the advice doesn't relate to her situation directly, but it's great to learn about it for the future. Haley, let's get in touch. I'd love to help you more specifically with whatever you've got on your plate in your life stage. And the best way to get in touch is one of two ways. Either direct message me on Instagram, let me know you're the Haley who left the generous review, or you can email me com. Let me know you left the review and I will, in either case, send you a link where you can pick a time on my calendar to chat. Thank you so much. And I've been doing this every week. Going to do it every single week this year. Going to talk to over 50 of you by the end of the year. That's my goal. One-on-one. Thanks for the review, Haley. Okay, now let's head over to the mailbag and first help out our friend Laura who wrote in recently on Instagram. She says, hey Farnoosh, I have a couple questions. Currently contributing 10% to my employer 401k. My employer matches 6%. Should I drop my contribution to 6% as I have $6,000 left on a car loan and $30,000 left on student loans? Both have low interest rates. I still have a job and and I have another question about my job in a minute. All right, so the first question she has is, should she dial back her 401k contribution? Which it sounds with the employer match, she's getting a 16% contribution. That is really, really good. And right now, it begs the question, is it maybe too much if she's got some other areas of her financial life that need attention? I think the decision, Laura, here is less about paying down these low-interest debts quicker by not contributing more to your 401k, but rather perhaps bulking up your rainy day account If you don't have at least a six-month cushion, and I know it may feel unlikely that you're going to lose your job after you've just gotten hired, but crazier things have happened, then I would contribute 6% up to the match and then keep that other 4% that you were investing and park it in savings until you have about that strong six to maybe nine-month savings cushion, and that cushion is going to cover your bare-bone necessities. If you lose your job, you can still make rent. You can still pay for health insurance. You can still pay for your utilities, food, obviously. As far as the student loans go, if these are federal loans, just want to let you know, in case you didn't realize this, that you are very likely eligible for forbearance until the end of September. It's not forgiveness, but it will allow you to basically put a stop on your payments. It's automatic for federal loan borrowers until the end of September. And that's thanks to the CARES Act, the stimulus, the $2.2 trillion stimulus. We talked a lot about this on last Friday's show. So just to recap, if you have a federal student loan, Due to COVID 19, borrowers are automatically being placed in an administrative forbearance. This allows you to temporarily stop making your monthly loan payments and it's going to last until September 30th. You can still make payments if you want, and then all of that will go directly towards principal, which is good. You can knock down the balance a lot faster that way. If you qualify, then more money to play with, right? And in this case, maybe it's putting more towards rain day, or it could be. The car loan, which I don't know what the interest rate is, but if the interest rate is higher than your student loans, that might be a smart place to put a little bit more towards principal. Or you may choose to continue paying down the student loan because that's something that you'd like to see out of the picture sooner than later. And again, now because you don't have to pay the principal plus interest until the end of the end of September, you can just do principal for the time being. Or if you decide at that point you want to play some catch up in retirement, then turn back up the dial on your 401k. But I think you know with the employer match, that's a solid 12%. And right now in an economy like this, being able to contribute 10% is outstanding. Still getting that employer match is unique to take advantage of it while it lasts. But I hope you're seeing the hierarchy here, right? Number one, priority emergency savings. Number two, high interest debt. If your car loan, student loan is not high interest... But you're going to have more money to play with because maybe you're getting student loan forbearance and you've already bulked up your emergency savings. And maybe, yeah, the car loan would be the next thing to tackle, followed by amping up even further the retirement savings. If you want to do more once you feel you've got your other bases covered, go for it. Her question's a two-parter. She says, also, in March, I started a new job at a company making almost $50,000 more. Wow. Hello, six figures. High five. High 10. I'm happy at this new company. However, another company reached out to me on LinkedIn. The position is similar to my current one and I'm really interested in it. After speaking to the recruiter, they can pay me $28,000 more than what I'm making now. That's going to double my salary from just two months ago. I want to continue talking to this potential employer. However, if I get the job, I don't want to burn any bridges at my current job. How would be the best way to go about this? All right. So this is tricky. I do like the idea. I love the idea of always keeping your options open. I had a boss when I was 19 years old who said to me, Farnoosh, always keep your eye out for the next job. Even once she had just started a job. And she was faxing her resume for another job. And I was the only one who was uh, privy to that information. Now we all know, but this was many, many years ago. And she said, I always consider my options, she said. And you know, she had been through a layoff at her previous job. So I think she was far more aware of the realities of working somewhere, that you, you could be hot stuff one day and then you're out the door the next day. All this to say that it's smart for you to just keep the conversations going. Learn as much as you can, though, if you decide to bring this to the attention of your new employer, you're going to want to be really firm on what you want to do with this information. The strategy is going in and saying, I've been offered another job. The salary is significantly higher. The work description is a lot more exciting. There's a lot more opportunity for growth. This completely fell on my lap. I wasn't looking for this. It was way too enticing. So I looked into it and it's a real deal. I'm so sorry to say that I I need to leave, that I will be putting in my two weeks notice. That's really all you can say. Because if you go in there and just tell them that you've been offered this job and you're not really sure what you wanna do with it, but you're hoping that they will just maybe pay you more, they might pay you more, but then what are you left with? You're left with more money, but you're working in an environment where your boss is always gonna be second guessing your commitment. Is that what you want? It is not to say that when you're working at a job you're not, you should not be looking elsewhere for other opportunities, but you just started, right? They went through a lot of effort to hire you. They probably went through a lot of rounds of interviews. It was a big cost to them to hire you and not someone else because now you're leaving potentially, and now they have to start the process over again or go back to the people that they rejected. And it's a whole project for them, and you kind of blew things up for them a little bit. So, again, happy for you. It's gonna stink for them. So you need to be ready to leave. And one last thing I wanna say about it is that if you do get this offer and you don't want the job, but you just wanna see how far you could go with it, not a bad strategy. You don't wanna bring it to the attention of your employer now. You might wanna bring it to their attention later. And here's how. Later when you're up for review, when you've accomplished some goals earlier than expected and you're just now a star at this company, I think then is a really appropriate time to talk about compensation. And at that point, as part of your pitch, you know, talking about the value that you're bringing to the company, the growth that you've driven, you can say, I've also done some research. I'm learning that my position would earn this much money elsewhere. In fact, I have an offer letter from another company that was willing to give me $28,000 more at the very early stages of working here. I didn't bring this to your attention because I didn't want the job, right? I like working here, but this is real evidence to me of what I could be making someplace else, what I know my market value is. So in that case, it could be really helpful to you. So you might want to work, you might want to go as far as you can with this other job, get the offer and just put it in your drawer and be ready to show it in six months whenever you're up for a review. And I think in that case, that could be a real compelling negotiation tool. All right. That was a lot, but I'm glad you asked these questions. I hope that this is helpful to everybody listening now or in the future. Next question is from Sarah, who's 27 years old, living in Greensboro, North Carolina with her fiance, and they've been blessed. She says, the coronavirus has actually um, not impacted us financially. I've gotten a great job. I will be joining my fiance working from home this week. We already have an emergency fund. We regularly contribute to our 401ks, Roth IRAs. We're so lucky right now we're looking to buy a house. We're seeing some prices fall in the area. From our estimates, we'll have more than 25% save for a down payment by the time our rental agreement is over at the end of the year. In your opinion, when would be the best time to buy and what market indicators should we be looking at to help us make a decision? Okay. So you just heard me talk about how we bought a house and it, you know, we were ready to buy a house, whether there was a pandemic or not. What would have changed, of course, is if like financially we got ruined. And fortunately, we have savings, we had the equity from the home, and we felt like our careers were on solid ground. Uh, not going to say that this year is going to be a winning year for me um, because I've already seen some business go away, but it's okay. Like we're fine. The best time to buy, my friends, is when you are ready. And that means financially ready, emotionally ready. Things happen in the economy, things change in the markets, things, think, things change with your job. That does impact whether or not you're quote unquote ready. But if you feel just as ready now as you were three months ago, despite what's happening in the world, then I think now is still a smart time to keep looking and keep saving and staying on track. If it also happens to be when prices are falling, which we are seeing and you're seeing in your town... Fantastic. That's a cherry on top. But it's really hard to predict exactly where prices are going to go. Talking to my friend Elise uh, earlier this week, the episode's airing on Wednesday, she says it's going to get worse before things get better, meaning prices. So if you're in the market to buy, could be a good opportunity for you. But again, you have to already be ready. It means you've got a strong credit score. You've got money in the bank. You've run all the calculators. Your job is secure. The job security thing is probably the biggest question mark right now right? There were obvious companies and industries affected by COVID immediately, right? Restaurants, hotels, airlines, but there's going to be another shoe dropping soon. There's going to be other industries that got more of a domino impact uh, where it's not clear yet where they're going to be as far as layoffs, but we'll know in quarters three and four. Not to scare people, but I do think that there's going to be more job losses before we see a flattening of the unemployment rate, but what you want to look for as far as also these indicators you're talking about, obviously unemployment rate. If your unemployment rate in your area is high, then that may depress prices. How much inventory is on the market? there's a lot of inventory, meaning a lot of houses for sale, that could also bode well for you as you're looking to negotiate. But I will say this, in this market right now, don't take asking price as the final price. You know, a lot of room to negotiate here. It's going to be a case-by-case scenario. Maybe the seller is desperate. Maybe the seller is not desperate, but you got to just kind of feel it out and negotiate. So my advice to you, my friend Sarah, is to keep saving. Be sure your credit score continues to stay above 700 be ready for a minimum down payment requirement of at least 20%. You've got 25%, even better. That's going to get you a much better mortgage. I'm reading about how some banks have even raised their borrowing standards. Accessing credit is going to get harder in this market. But from the sound of it, you do have your ducks in a row right now. So just keep things firm for the from now until the end of the year. And I do believe that by the winter, you'll have options. And remember, Wednesday, we've got the interview with Elise Glink, real estate guru, who's going to talk more about the market and how the virus is impacting prices. Ghazal writes in and she says, hey, my 401k is a lot lower right now uh, than it was before the crisis and the market volatility. What are your thoughts on the pros, cons of rolling over a 401k During this time, does it matter because I'll be selling low and buying low? Any pitfalls I should be aware of uh, to try to avoid? So the rules haven't really changed as far as best practices for rolling over your 401k. Really important to know the rules around this. You want to make sure that the rollover you do is a direct rollover right? That if your company sends you a check with your 401k balance, that you immediately put this into an IRA. Because if you wait on it, if you keep this distribution sitting, then it's an early distribution. You have to pay taxes and a 10% penalty on that money. And that's going to wipe out a good chunk of the value. When you're rolling over this money, and I do think you should, you know, I think it's important to roll it over so that you can keep it active, you can continue to contribute to it, and if you want to roll it over into a place where you already have an existing bank relationship, keep everything under one roof, it's a nice streamlined way to manage your money. But do keep your eye out for the following things because it's not always an apples to apples rollover, Right. Management fees could be different from where your 401k is parked to where you're moving this money next. Expense ratios, uh, that's the annual fee charged by mutual funds, That's that's index funds and ETFs as well. And so many 401k plans do have low cost funds, but through an IRA, if you're doing a rollover into an IRA, you might have more options, more access to a larger selection of funds, and that could help you to bring down some of the costs. You might find some index funds, ETFs that are lower cost lower expense ratios, but effectively the same kind of investment. So those are some things to keep an eye out. The fees, really. Do your homework. And a lot of times you can work with somebody at the bank, um, whether that's your Financial institution, a robo advisor to help you pick the investments that were very similar to the ones you had previously in your 401k so that you don't really lose much value in just that process of moving from one mutual fund to the other. Uh, But do keep an eye out for expense ratios, management fees, things like that, which could impact on your bottom line. Okay, and last question Should I pay off my fiance's student loan debt? When we are married, it's about $30,000. I am able to afford it. This question came in through and asked me anything on Instagram. Look, generally I'm anti paying off partner's debts. Instead, think about other ways you can work together to have your partner pay down his debt whether that's having him contribute less to joint expenses, reducing your shared expenses. But I I worry about just writing a check and paying this off for your partner. It's not to say that you don't love your partner, you don't support him. To the contrary, I think this shows more love and more belief in your partner to say, I know you can do this. I'm going to help you. Let's figure out a way together. You know, the saying goes, love is blind, but don't let that derail your personal finances. And I think sometimes when you're in a relationship, your emotions can compete with rationale you might rationalize paying for your partner's hardships because it's like the romantic thing to do. It's the loving thing to do. And you're hoping to build a future together. So why not erase your partner's debt? It's an easy and fast way to move forward with all that you want to accomplish as a couple, whether that's buying a house, starting a family, but big but. I think it's important to let your partner do the hard work of digging himself, herself out of debt. You can still help, you can still be their champion, but I think you wanna avoid that blank check or handing over cash. Here's what you can do instead. You can be a good listener before suggesting your ideas. You wanna ask your partner, what do you need? What are your goals? Offer your ear, offer then your support. And maybe at that point, you realize, hey, we can call up the student loan company and come up with a restructuring plan. Or, hey, did you know that because you have a federal loan, you don't have to make any payments until the end of September? Things like that. You might learn a lot just from having that initial conversation about what your partner wants to do. Important is just to show that you're there for him and that you believe in his ability to pay this off be there for reassurance. You can decide to reduce your shared expenses. If you're living together, how can you save more in joint spending categories like food, rent, utilities? Those things often eat up the biggest portions of our budgets. And if he's contributing to that and you can bring that down, well, that's going to save him money to put more towards the debt enjoy more free time together. I mean, right now, what are you doing that's costing any money? Nothing, right? You're you're spending a lot less these days. So can you take advantage of that and put more of what you were spending towards the student loan debt? I'm talking his portion. And then there are joint expenses that you have if you want to help to cover more of those joint expenses out of pocket and that that way your partner can spend less towards those joint expenses and put more towards the debt, that's something else you might want to do. But again, it's an indirect way of helping that is not going to be writing a check or making a wire transfer. I just know enough now in the 19 years that I've been exploring personal finance with families and couples and individuals that there's a risk, too, of resentment. There's a risk, too, of relapse, financial relapse. When you don't go through the pain of paying off your own debt on your own, if your parents help you out, if your partner helps you out, I, I do wonder what that means in the long run as far as your likelihood to go back into debt or your likelihood to not really appreciate right the process of getting out of debt. When it's hard, you don't forget And that's sometimes a really good thing and it's an important lesson. So it's tougher love, okay, than just helping him out. But I think, look, you've got the time now. Maybe he's got some student loan provisions that maybe can lighten his load. Maybe he qualifies for that automatic deferment, automatic forbearance. But have a conversation first and find out what he wants to do and then come up with a plan together that doesn't include a $30,000 check. All right, my friend, thank you so much for writing in. And thank you to everyone for your questions. As always, you can reach me on Instagram through email, Farnoosh at So Money Podcast. And you can go to the So Money Podcast website at somoneypodcast.com. Click on Ask Farnoosh and leave me your questions there. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Let's make May a strong month, okay? I know it's a gonna be another long month of staying indoors, but stay indoors. It's important wear those masks, wear those gloves, talk to your loved ones, stay in touch, and stick with the show. We're gonna get through this. We're gonna thrive. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And I hope your weekend is so money.